0: Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and supporting sponsor of and Bill Gatt, College of Pharmacy. It is a, a cold and soon-to-be icy February 11th, 2021, and it's busy here at the College of Pharmacy, so let's just get right into it. we got one new drug approval to talk about in some depth today, and then some, uh, some other things to talk about, uh, some updates from the FDA. So let's talk about... Uh, Umbrella Sib, or maybe umbrella sip, uh, umbrella Sib because um, you could you can say it with an umbrella emoji. Um, this was approved on February 5th by the FDA for two indications: relapsed refractory mantle, uh, sorry, not mantle. I have in my notes, don't say mantle, and I said mantle. Marginal zone lymphoma, so relapsed refractory marginal zone lymphoma, which I don't know, maybe some people confuse with uh, mantle cell lymphoma, but it's marginal zone lymphoma after uh, or who had, after receiving one prior uh, CD20-based regimen or relapse refractory follicular lymphoma after three lines of therapy. Uh, this, uh, both of these approvals are accelerated approvals based on uh, overall response rates, uh, 49 and 43% respectively, uh, 60% complete response rate in the marginal zone lymphoma cohort, and 3% in the follicular uh, lymphoma. Now, we have not talked about marginal zone lymphoma on the podcast that I can think of, so let's just talk a little bit about marginal zone lymphoma. It's called marginal zone lymphoma, not because we want to marginalize it because it's not as important as any other lymphomas. It's a bit of a derogatory name, perhaps, perhaps, but it's called marginal zone lymphoma because it arises in the marginal zone of uh, lymphoid follicles. Uh, There are a couple subtypes of marginal zone lymphoma, a little bit of a classic... um, oncologic disease state where we kind of lump a couple things under this uh, broader umbrella that uh, maybe we don't know a ton about uh, individually. So we have extranodal marginal zone lymphoma. So marginal zone lymphoma that arises not from a lymph node. Uh, and these are also um, extranodal marginal lymphoma of MALT or mucosal associated lymphoid tissue, uh, sometimes called MALT lymphoma or MALToma. The classic example of this is H. pylori induced gastric malt, uh, which uh, is commonly treated with H. pylori eradication, and in about three-quarters of those patients, uh, their malt uh, regresses on its own just after treating the H. pylori. So there is sometimes an inflammatory infectious component to this. So that's extranodal marginal zone lymphoma of mucosal-associated lymphoid tissue malt lymphoma. There's nodal marginal zone lymphoma, so arising from from a lymph node, and then splenic marginal zone lymphoma. Now, treatment is typically, uh, you know, if it's localized, so you're talking maybe one of disease, uh, often includes radiation, um, perhaps surgery, like in the case of splenic marginal zone lymphoma, uh, where surgery is easily amenable. Uh, then CD20-based therapies, like singulate rituximab, uh, for more aggressive disease or more expansive disease, maybe uh, BR Bendamustine/Rituximab. Uh, there are some data for Brutinib and other PI3 kinase inhibitors. Of course, UmbrellaCip is a PI3 kinase inhibitor, which we will talk uh, talk more about. Uh, now, because this is just an accelerated approval, I'm not going to get into the whole you know hierarchy of, of treating marginal zone lymphoma because we don't have a ton of randomized controlled trials for marginal zone lymphoma. The pivotal uh, study here for the marginal zone lymphoma approval, which is what I'm going to talk about because we have lots and lots of options for follicular lymphoma, and the umbrella of approval is in the fourth line setting, so pretty down uh, the list here. Uh, the pivotal marginal zone lymphoma study uh, was 69 patients. Hard to call that pivotal. Uh, 38 of them had extranodal disease, uh, 40 nodal, uh, MZL, and 11 splenic. They had all received at least one prior line of treatment with a CD20, uh, based regimen. Uh, the median number of prior lines of treatment was two. Uh, none of them had prior PI3 kinase inhibitors and we, of, course, of course we know there are other drugs uh, like adalalisib that's approved, uh, you know, are or, or used in this space if not approved for marginal zone lymphoma. From uh, a pharmacologic standpoint, umbralisib is a PI3 kinase delta inhibitor and a casein kinase CK1 epsilon Inhibitor, which is not something I've heard of, but is uh, you know has been shown to be involved in, in the progression or the development of cancer cells. Now, PI3 kinase delta uh, is familiar. That isoform of PI3 kinase is inhibited by idelalisib and copanlisib, but not by alpelisib, which uh, is a, a more Um, selective inhibitor for PI3 kinase alpha. And one thing that we'll see as we look at the toxicity profile is that if you inhibit PI3 kinase alpha, like with alpelisib for breast cancer, uh, you see more metabolic toxicities like hyperglycemia. If you inhibit PI3 kinase delta, you you worry about, uh, you know, basically a lack of functional immune system and you see infections and you see uh, kind of a strange type of diarrhea. Uh, that, can, that can lead to colitis as well, a non-infectious colitis, okay? So we'll come back to that when we look at the toxicity. Now, the dosing here is 800 milligrams uh, by mouth once daily with food. Uh, it needs to be taken with food to increase uh, the absorption. We know that uh, from, package, from the package insert that more drug exposure leads to better responses, it seems. More drug exposure also leads to more toxicity in terms of uh, a greater chance of diarrhea and greater chance of LFT abnormalities, which is a nice segue into the warnings precautions here. So neutropenia, grade three neutropenia occurred in 9%. Uh, We saw grade three infections in 10%. Um, Now PI3 kinase delta is important, not just in the progression of some indolent B cell uh, lymphomas, but also in normal B-cell activity. So if you inhibit PI3 kinase delta, you'll inhibit your normal B-cell activity. Makes sense that you would see more infections. This also included some cases of PJP. Uh, and so PJP prophylaxis is mandated in the label. Uh, they also say consider prophylactic antivirals to prevent CMV infection or reactivation. Uh, so perhaps these patients need to be on something like uh, latirumavir. Uh, or something uh, more toxic to prevent CMV reactivation in patients at risk for CMV infection or reactivation. Uh, diarrhea occurred in f- more than half, 50 plus percent of patients, grade three and 9%. So grade three diarrhea is you're to the hospital with dehydration, you're having colitis. Uh, the median time to onset of this diarrhea was one month, which is faster than I think we saw with Idylalisib. Uh And at least for Idylalusib, and I think it's safe to assume that the, the, the etiology of this is the same as with Is it's a, it's a type of immune dysfunction in the GI tract. Um, that that type of diarrhea with idylalsib does not respond well to traditional anti-motility agents like loperamide or lomotil. And the PI suggests when you get a grade 3 diarrhea, which uh, is like 6 bowel movements or more a day, uh, you hold the drug, you do antidiarrheals like lomodal, and enteric-acting steroids, in quotes there. So this would be something like budesonide um, because you do need to stop the, the immune system activity in the gut, which is causing this diarrhea. Um, hepatotoxicity, uh, a grade 3, was seen in 8% uh, by AST or ALT elevation. Grade four, uh, less than one Grade 4 LFTN probably be 20 times the upper level normal, so you're really getting up you know into the thousands of AST or AlT when you see that. Uh, severe cutaneous reaction seen in 2%, like a uh, an exfoliative dermatitis or desquamating rash. Uh, allergic reactions can be seen too, not the drug so much, but FD and C yellow number five, which I don't think is the same thing uh, that's in Twinkies if I'm remembering, Uh, that one Christmas movie called Die Hard correctly. Uh, And then, of course, embryo-fetal toxicity could be seen as well. Uh, With regards to other toxicities that aren't in the warnings precaution section, you know, musculoskeletal pain in 27%, so 1 in 4, rash in 18%, insomnia in 14%, not something we commonly see. Um... Again, there's no placebo comparison, because it's a single arm study, so for perhaps 25% of people in this disease state have musculoskeletal pain, but it seems like there's something there to the drug. An increased creatinine was seen in 79% of patients. Zero of that was grade 3 or 4, though. This is unclear what this is due to. Uh, Is this because uh, diarrhea, dehydration, caused an increase in creatinine? Uh, 50% had diarrhea, but 80% have an increase in creatinine, so that maybe doesn't quite match nice and neatly. Uh, could it be that Umbrellacid inhibits OCT2, uh, an active transport pump for creatinine, like some other TKIs we've talked about recently? It's not mentioned in the PI if Umbrellacid inhibits OCT2 or not. Uh, we do know that it inhibits p glycoprotein a protein, but not about uh, OCT2. So something to watch out in these patients um, to see if, if this is really renal dysfunction or just a, like a drug lab uh, interaction. Uh, I mentioned it's by mouth as is Idylalacid, but not Copanlacid, which is available IV, when we're looking at our PI3 kinase delta inhibitors. Uh, 800 milligrams by mouth uh, daily with food. Comes as 200 milligram tablets for now, so that's four tablets a day as a dose. Uh, We've seen this before when a new drug gets approved uh, that uh, they utilize a very convenient dosage form to make—not convenient for patients, but convenient pharmaceutically to prepare, uh, kind of on a large scale. And as uh, maybe the drug uh, increases in market share, they can redevote some resources to make a more convenient, uh, you know, 800 milligram tablet uh, to make it easier for patients from pill burn standpoint. So umbralisib, you know, fairly dirty drug from a toxicity standpoint uh, in a Uh, usually an indolent disease. Uh, It would be really interesting to see what happens if these patients were just randomized to more uh, rituximab um, to see if that uh, led to improved progression-free survival is what you would probably look for here because it is an indolent disease. Uh, uh, I think uh, it's a hope and a dream to think you'll see an overall survival uh, primary endpoint study for marginal zone lymphoma. But So just to wrap up, these patients uh, are mandated by the label to have PJP prophylaxis uh, when starting. Uh, Consider a CMV uh, antiviral so, you know, if you don't do CMV antivirals, seems to me I would recommend uh, to to my physicians, if I was treating a patient, that we we monitor CMV if they're at risk for it Uh, and probably giving them uh, low paramide and a prescription on file for budesonide uh, because that diarrhea happens in half the patients. So a uh, little over half, so the odds are these patients would have diarrhea. So that is Umbralisib. Um, the the next drug, new drug was approved, is a another CAR-T. Uh, and this is lysocathagene marlucel. Uh, lysocathagene marlucel. Pretty fun name to say, I think. Brand name here is Brianzi. Um, approved for relapse refractory B-cell lymphoma after two or more lines of systemic therapy. Um, this is a CD19 CAR-T for refu- or dif- relapsed refractory B-cell lymphoma. Uh, it's not a new, uh, it's a bit of a me too. Now there may be some differences that I didn't research before this with regards to the linker. Maybe some differences in toxicity profiles. Uh, we don't give CAR-T here. Most places, you know, uh, around the country don't give CAR-T, uh, and if you give CARTIT your facility before you do this, your uh, institution is going to have to go through a REMS program to be able to give it, where you will learn everything you need to know about lysocaptogene marlouce cell. So I won't mention that anymore. Finally, I'll mention uh, Semiplomib. Semiplomab, hardest drug name to say for me. Uh, ha- originally had an accelerated approval for a non-melanoma skin cancer. Did ha- get regular approval uh, on the 9th of February for locally advanced um and metastatic basal cell carcinoma. So just kind of an updated and expanded approval there in a similar disease state. So that's what I have for you this week. Thank you for listening. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeatNib. Follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoPharmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, and if you're a student and you're getting ready to take my oncology midterm tomorrow, doses matter. Okay, doses matter, folks. Have a good week.